Welcome to our second season of Shooting the Breeze. This time, we're casting our net wider. We're going to be talking to inspiring athletes, amazing coaches, and behind-the-scenes trailblazers from across the women's basketball landscape. As we start the run-up to the Olympics, another WNBL season, and the FIBA Women's World Cup being held right here in Sydney, as well as the Opals being ranked number two in the world, this is a great time to be a fan of Australian women's basketball. Don't forget to subscribe and be the first to know when we have more Hoops goodness headed your way. And Kelsey and Tolo staying back and doing an extra 30 minutes assault bike workout was incredible. And I think that that was a moment for me where it was like, yeah, this is the stuff that other people need to see to understand. In this episode, I'm getting back to some familiar territory. It's all about behind-the-scenes filming of our sporting heroes, something that just doesn't happen often enough for women's sports here in Australia. Finally, our elite women's basketballers have something in the pipeline, and it's exactly the kind of hero stories we need to raise visibility. Not just a weekly news story, this is imagination-capturing. It's heart-soaring. Behind the scenes, investing in the players, giving them the kind of visibility that can have far-reaching impacts for the sport. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Today we're joined by Lachlan and Dylan who have been working on the Go Big documentary for the Canberra Caps. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Thanks for having us, Paul. Guys, this is a really great project. I'm really, really buzzed by uh, by what you've been doing. So I'd like to start off by getting a bit of background on both of you and also how you guys connected with, with the WNBL and the Caps. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll kick things off. Um, like I'll let you go into your history, but a bit of background on myself. Um, junior basketball player growing up in Canberra. So an obvious connection there with the Caps. Uh, and, and one of the cool reasons for starting this project was... Um, you know, having having those dreams of, of wanting to be a pro athlete and a, and a young basketballer. You know, the highest level of basketball in the state was the Caps. So it was going to the games every week and and really finding finding those those female athletes inspirational and, and wanting to be a part of that. From there, it was I got down the the advertising marketing path and uh, I was working for a company called Coordinated in Canberra, who was the the marketing partner of the the UC Caps. Um, so I was fortunate enough to to work with them through all of their branding. Uh, did the rebrand a couple of years ago, and then produced a, a range of content for them. And um, it just seemed like the perfect pairing, um, mixing you know the love of basketball with with this newfound passion of in the comms industry, and and recently starting a film production company. So it was yeah, everything came together. And Lachlan approached me about this project, but yeah, Lock, I'll let you uh, do a bit of background on yourself. Yeah, similar for me. I grew up in Canberra. Uh, one of the first games I remember going to live was my dad taking me to the AIS Grand Final where Lauren Jackson and Kristen Veal won the WNBL title for the first time for an AIS team. Yeah, leaving that, just being blown away with, especially Kristen Veal. She got MVP of the game and it was just massive takeaway. She was all of a sudden one of my favorite basketball players in the world. And so I kept going to the Caps games for the next few years. There, I would, I would have been about 10, I think, when I went to that game. So then, yeah, sort of early teens going out and watching the Caps win all their titles. Ended up heading overseas for uni and played some college basketball in Canada. Um, and then Dill was over in the States doing the same thing. And similar to Dill, came back to Canberra, reconnected with the Caps through videography. So I was the videographer for the 2018-19 to the 2019-20 seasons. Um, and then just, yeah, thought chasing the three-peat, COVID season, there was definitely a, a bigger story to tell. So 
texted Dill late one night and said, I've got a crazy idea. Do you want to have a chat? And Dill said something along the lines of, I love crazy ideas. Give me a call. And <laughs> yeah, and then we took our crazy idea to Cary Graff and Lucille Bailey and went from there. Great. So you've touched on on where the idea for Go Big came from. I mean, obviously the the hub season really kind of stirred everything up across the board, which is actually how we launched the the podcast as well. How did you guys uh, feel about that run up heading towards the um, the hub when everything was up in the air and nobody really knew what was going to happen? How was that impacting your plans? Yes, I think I actually approached Dill with the idea before the hub was announced, and so for us, we, we were kind of thinking this would be great to do, but it's going to be logistically quite challenging figuring out which road games we would go to or which trainings we would go to. So then when the hub season got announced, it actually kind of simplified it in a way, even though it was a lot more logistically challenging of the cost of going that far for that long. It actually meant that we didn't have to pick and choose what we went to. We just had to figure out a way to get there. And then that, that was obviously a big challenge, but then, um, after talking it over with Dan Jackson, the ops manager of the Caps, and sort of discussing it with Graffy, all, all of a sudden, uh, Dan Jackson messaged me one day and said, Graffy wants to know if you'd be keen to come for two months, which absolutely blew me away. But um, yeah, <laughs> yes. we found a way to make it possible, and it was amazing. I mean, yeah, from a filmmaking standpoint, um, it did end up being a bit of a perfect storm for us. I mean, you go from a 28-week season <laughs> and having to capture content for that, for that amount of time from, all right, we just need to get two videographers for six weeks um, in a bubble in, you know, I guess three locations within North Queensland. So, I mean, it would have been a logistical nightmare for the teams in the league. But from, from our standpoint, it, was, it wasn't too bad. And did you find that there were a lot of challenges just in that in that environment up there? Because whilst there were only three locations, they were really they weren't really designed for basketball. You know, the the league did an incredible job to make a season happen. First and foremost, like yeah. the the um, the time and energy that everybody from Basketball Australia put in to make the league possible was incredible. And seeing that in person, everybody was working all hours of the day for six weeks. So. I think that's probably the the biggest thing is how grateful all everybody involved was just that it happened. For the players, I think it was, I think it, it differed player to player how challenging it was. Some of them kind of preferred being surrounded by basketball all the time and being in it, and the the team environment was really incredible. Being that close together for that amount of time, I think for the coaches it was difficult. <laughs> that was definitely, <laughs> you know, just. Everything was quick turnarounds on game revision, um, prep for the next game, knowing who was healthy and how to get them back on court. Like Caps had so many injuries in preseason and leading into the season. Yeah. I think ne never knowing when we would get people back or how we would get them back. Um, and, you know, if you roll an ankle badly in a six-week season, that could be a season-ending injury. So it's, it's just trying to manage all of those things. Yeah, I know when we were talking to some of the people from the Flames, the, the biggest thing they were focusing on was that, that recovery would be so much more critical in the hub season than it normally is during the regular WNBL season. Absolutely, yeah. And that's what makes the story, um, you know, it gives it so much more legs as well as, I mean, any season has its range of, of difficulties and challenges and adversity that you need to overcome. And so, you know, with this COVID condensed season, it just brought on a whole new layer to that, uh, you know, whether it was losing all crowd support or not being able to talk, like be around your family um, and have that internal support there. 
So it was just layers on layers of adversity and, and from that just stories and stories. Yeah. I'm wondering how did you, I mean, from a logistical and technical standpoint, how did you find uh, shooting in the converted Bunnings? The converted Bunnings was actually great. Um, okay. Yeah, the, the lighting setup in there was incredible. So going from, um, you know, a, a smaller arena that didn't usually have that level of broadcast, like Mackay, so short baselines, um, yep. not a lot of spaces that we could actually be, to being in Bunnings where we had, you know, this huge setup specifically for the hubs, set up specifically for broadcast. Um, we got there and turned on our cameras and we're like, this is everything we need. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Did you find it hard having to get the caps over the line on the whole idea of the project? Not, not at all, not at really. Yeah. Yes. yeah. It was um, from the moment, I guess it also helped because we had such a strong relationship with the team mm. um, and have done over the last yeah, three or four years. But going to them with this idea, I mean, especially with the vision that we had, which is, Yes, we want to tell this incredible story, but you know the bigger picture here is is really trying to put female athletes in the spotlight and give them the media and and broadcast coverage that they deserve. And so, you know, that aligns with a lot of what the Caps are trying to do and what what they've been trying to do for the last you know twenty years. Um, so, yeah, Graphy has been a huge supporter. The, the front office of the Caps have been huge supporters, and and they've helped us every step of the way. And just the buy-in from the team and, you know, Paul Goris and Kristen Beale and all of the the support staff was incredible too. Like we we were allowed access to pretty much everything. And, you know, there was, there was only one game where Goris shut us out of the locker room after the, after the game. So, so we did pretty well from that standpoint. Yeah, I was going to ask about, about that because obviously, you know, coaches tend to be a bit touchy about access to the players, particularly around a game. And having having spoken to to Gory a few times uh, when we've done post game interviews uh, up here in Sydney, he's the kind of guy where you know you've got a pretty good idea of where he's sitting at any point in time, and whether you're getting happy Gory or maybe not so happy Gory. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, Gory and I, so our relationship goes back to I actually played under twenties for him. He was my SCT under twenties coach. Um, okay. So I've known Gary for a number of years now. Um, we have a great relationship and then have been working with him um, the last few years with them. We sort of built that trust. As you said, though, you know, we're obviously putting everybody in a pretty vulnerable position, having cameras on in team talks and especially after tough losses and things like that. So everybody was incredible though, and so supportive. And I think everybody understood how important it was to be able to film those moments. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I, even though I'm sure it would have been tough at times to know that they were being filmed, everybody was really supportive of it and cooperative. Yeah, it really came down to just a level of trust. And fortunately, you know, this project came about, like I said, after already building trust over the last few years. But yeah, the, just their trust in us to be able to grant us that access. Uh, and then I guess also trust it to put it in the right light and, and tell the right story. And I think it's important, particularly with women's sports, because You've got to build a level of trust because so often women's sports are getting kicked around in the media. And when I say kicked around, not necessarily attacked, but they're being put to one side. They're being treated as more like a secondary type of sport when the reality is they're, they're just as good as the men. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, I, having having worked with the Cavs the last couple of years, I already knew that they put in a lot of work. 
However, a lot of the filming I had done with them was sort of more set up advertisements and player profiles as opposed to being there for real trainings or weight sessions. So that was something for me. We, we got up to the hub and uh, seeing Kelsey Griffin sit on a salt bike for 30 minutes because she wasn't allowed to do any other kind of training and the workout she put herself through and then her and Tolo after the team weight sessions, everybody had gone hard for, you know, an hour, hour and a half in the gym and Kelsey and Tolo staying back and doing an extra 30 minutes assault bike workout was incredible. And I think that that was a moment for me where it was like, yeah, this is the stuff that other people need to see to understand. Yeah. I think a lot of people underestimate the amount of effort that the players put in to be match fit week in, week out, and particularly in that sort of an intense season like we had last year. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that um, Graffy spoke about, so we interviewed Graffy a uh, week and a half ago, and she was talking about even they get a lot of great media coverage, but in the early days, it was, you know, a photographer would show up for one quarter of a game, take a couple of photos and go shoot men's sport. And so they'd be putting out photos of players missing a shot or dropping a pass or, and so it's like, if you, if that's all you see, that's what you assume the product is, right? Like what's, what's the difference in a story? If I show you a photo of LeBron James dropping a pass versus dunking on somebody, he could have had 40 points that game, but if the only photo you saw is him dropping a pass, you're going to come to the conclusion that he played a bad game or it's a low standard of play. And so I, I think it, it really comes down to us as media, storytellers, videographers, photographers, what, whatever you want to call yourself or whatever category you sit in, we have the power and the control of what the the message is because we could put out one thing and tell a completely different story than what actually happened. So if we're not putting in the amount of time and energy and effort into showing a women's sports game or a, a league or a season as we would in a men's uh, game or season, that's a huge problem in my eyes. So that that's something... I, th- I think that's why we got so much buy-in from the Caps too. They know that we were going to put the energy and effort and time and passion into telling their story. I mean, from from a marketing standpoint as well, you know, I'm a firm believer in you know, b- building a product and, and they'll come. Um, and so, so many times, I guess it's been brushed back about some of the, even, even just the marketing material and collateral for, for women's sport, um, just raising the bar, whether it's graphic design or um, just more social media content. Um, but then also, I guess, how you put these athletes in the right light within that. Lucky, I think, you know, going into some of your techniques as a director on this, um, you know, using a series of low angles just so that you're heroing players in frame and using sort of filmmaking techniques in that regard just to to really show the power and inspiration of the, of the um, athletes. Yeah, for sure. So if you think about when you're a little kid, everything looks bigger than you and more impressive and more powerful because you're looking up at it. So with film, you'll see in hero movies, most movies, you'll see low angle shots used to emphasize the power looking up at the subject. I think over the years, a lot of uh, women's sports content has been shot either at eye level or looking down. And that completely changes the narrative, right? So we really always tried to over accentuate, if anything, low angle shots, showing the power, showing the strength, showing the athleticism, featuring the hard work. And something as little as filming that from eye level or ground level can make a huge difference in how it's digested by the audience. 
It's interesting you say that because I think there's a whole lot of issues that women's sports face in terms of their media engagement. I think the Caps have been doing a really great job and there's other clubs that have done really great jobs in relation to that. There also seems to be a reticence in some quarters to engage with the media and I think that's probably coming from the fact that the media tends to treat women's sports as, you know, a secondary citizen rather than giving it its due. What do you think is the best way to try and change that approach? For us, it's it's purely getting to the stories, like breaking through the ice, um, you know, covering the sport itself and, and, and showing their feats on court is just the tip of the iceberg. And so I think one of the, one of the best things that the Caps do is their accessibility, um, both to fans and media. So after every game, um, and Graphic touched on this in our interview, it's known that as a Caps, after every game, you know, you hold off on stretching and you get down and you interact with the crowd and you build relationships with their audience, their city. And that also then extends into media. And so I think the ability to learn more about the athletes, so you, you see their on-court feats, and, I mean, these are world-class basketballers in their own backyard. But then when you, you, know, you break the ice, like I said, and, and you start to understand some of the adversity that they go through, um, and it's not just necessarily the training or the games or the stats, um, but understanding all the adversity that goes into it and also what they've had to overcome. Um, and so just understanding the backstories and, and what they continue to fight for. And I think accessibility, being able to talk to these players, being able to engage with them. Um, you know, no one's running around with helmets on or whatever any other sport does. You see their faces, you've got FaceTime with them. And I think just leveraging accessibility with each of these athletes and each of these teams is, is really going to help that. I think that the thing that we all love about sport is that it teaches us things about life. And so if you don't know the stories behind the players, you're less likely to want to watch them play because you don't know what they're about. You don't know what they stand for. You don't know what their story is. So the difference between going out and watching the Caps play and not knowing anything about them versus going to a game knowing Tolo's coming back from a big injury and, you know, or this is the last game she's going to play before she's going overseas to play or something like that, or she's just visited your school this week you're so much more bought in to wanting her to succeed if you know more about her. And so it's, it's this catch-22 of to get the media coverage, you need the accessibility, but to trust with the accessibility, you need to know that the media is going to do a great job of telling your story. So I think it, it's kind of like this chicken and egg situation a little bit with women's sport where you know you need to have the media coverage to get the sponsorship, to get the fan engagement, but media is more likely to cover things that are going to bring back a bigger return and so somebody's got to kind of take that first step I think which is what we're hoping to do with the documentary. Yeah and you touched on some really interesting points there because one of the issues that I think everybody sees with the larger media outlets is there's a focus on getting as many eyeballs as possible which means they tend to overlook the storytelling aspect and tend to just go for what's the the 30 second grab that doesn't necessarily help to engage with the fan base. From your point of view, what do you think you know is is a good approach for clubs, not just the Caps, but just clubs generally and women's sports even more generally, to be able to get that leap happening? To, to be honest, like projects like this are really going to help it out. I think I think the media is always going to have that one line um, grab or that headline and and really kind of reflect on the game and and the performance. But, you know, projects like this where we, we dive into it and we, we create this big picture approach about, 
the importance of women's sport, the adversity they handle, the trailblazing that they've done, um, that creates a broader message for the audience to then buy into those headlines. Like we create the interest through telling stories and, and I guess lifting up the veil and showing what's under the hood. Um, and that's where people can build these relationships with the athletes and with the teams. Then they buy into the media's, you know, one-liners or, or whatever it may be. Obviously, one of the big advantages that women's sports have, and obvious, and particularly women's basketball, is most major sports have a gatekeeper. PR and marketing is actually actually acts as a gatekeeper to stop, you know, that level of access that we see with women's sports. Do you think that being able to do a project like this actually helps to reinforce the fact to media that hey, you can go and talk to these sports and you don't have to deal with a gatekeeper whose entire role is to stop you from talking openly with the players. Yeah, I hope so. That that actually comes back to one of the big reasons I got so bought into working with the Caps was going out and doing videos with them. You know, Kelsey Griffin, who's at that time got at the MVP, is saying thank you so much for taking the time to come out and do a great job with us. And I was like, you're Kelsey Griffin, you're a superstar. What do you mean? I'm stoked <laughs> to be here. <laughs> and so the, the, they were all so genuine and so appreciative of me putting in time and energy and wanting to do the best job I could. That's something that you don't always see in like those bigger sports teams because they have to do so much media that, you know, they're showing up and they're, they're saying the right things, but it's all kind of like media trained sound bites as opposed to trying to get the story that people haven't heard yet. And that was one of the things for me that I, I just loved being around them, loved working with them. I knew they would really want to be there and really put in effort and energy while they're on camera and talking to me and getting interviewed. And that was a big reason why I really want to then make this. Yeah, it's an interesting one as well, because I think everyone's going to have their own different opinion about it, um, like different franchises, different front offices around what that access is. And, you know, it's just something that the Caps have uh, wholeheartedly supported and granting that accessibility. They acknowledge that access is going to give them more media coverage. Um, and so, you know, I guess that with that does come a risk um, that they may run the wrong story um, or they get the wrong sound grab. Uh, but it's, I guess it's a calculated risk. That the Caps have said, hey, we're going to go with this. And we've been fortunate enough to, to jump on the coattails of that. And again, that's just building trust. So the Caps have a great relationship with the media that cover them. And so there's that trust there that they're going to get that access, but they're hopefully not going to run something that's going to look horrible. So I, I think that's really, again, it's just a level of trust and the access is there and the trust is there. So it works really well. And that, So last thing there was... Um... I think the best thing, and like this is the stuff we're going to touch on in the doco, is is how they got to that point because it wasn't always that way. And um, you know, some of the stories that we start to hear from Graffy in these interviews is around what she did to really trailblaze that media coverage. You know, some of some of her tips and tricks about how she was going out there and whether that was supplying sandwiches and coffee at Tilly's and doing a media call there and and them getting excited about that, or whether it was texting editors of the local local news outlets just. Um, hammering them about when are we going to get a double page spread and so it was just this consistent battle or at least just this uh, consistent dialogue around we need this we need this we need this so it hasn't always been this way that they've had to fight for it and now we're starting to see that come to life. I was actually going to get onto this a little bit later but it's great that you mentioned Graffy because I wanted to ask how you guys found Graffy's engagement with the project but also how you found that 
her ability to be able to see the bigger picture has helped the CAPS over a period of years to culminate in a project like this. Yeah, I think Graf is incredible, <laughs> for starters. Um, she's somebody that just gets things done. <laughs> it's like if she's she's worked so hard for, you know, 25 years now, almost at the caps, building up to, to things like this. And, you know, I, I don't know if she had always thought, you know, maybe they'll do a doco or not. We haven't talked about that. But, you know, she was putting in the work as a coach and finding sponsorships and all of those things early on. And then now her role's changed to be director of sport for UC. So she's still able to have, you know, a role in that and dealing with, with the media still and dealing with the sponsors and things like that. And, yeah, like I, I think she definitely sees the bigger picture. And I think that was something that talking to her in her interview was, was great just to see how all of these little pieces along 25 years of work have resulted in this bigger picture that now people are looking at and saying like, oh, wow, look at what the Caps are doing. Um, like if you're another sports team in Canberra, especially a women's sports team, you're saying, how do we get to where the Caps are at? But, you know, that didn't just happen. That's 25, 30 plus years of hard work. Yeah, like, I, you know, just to touch on that, I think, you know, talking to Graffy and, and starting to learn her story and her history around the Caps as well is just her vision. Um, you know, she moved to Canberra from the Flames, and uh, mm. and she came here with with one mission, which was to build a dynasty, and that was through a coaching capacity. But um, like we've touched on, that's off court and on court success. Um, but she came here with a vision, uh, and she she had the ambition and talent to be able to to pull it off. And and now that vision's you know it's grown, um, and it's gone from a coaching capacity to a director capacity. But, I mean, she's someone that growing up, she, she would come to um, a range of different speaking functions and she was always someone that just had you on the edge of your seat. Um, she's incredibly articulate. Yeah, she's someone that you just buy into straight away. So, yeah, she's been incredible to learn about um, and to work with and, yeah, um, take my hat off to her. I remember, and I'm going to age myself here, but I remember Graffy as a coach for, for the Flames and even sitting in the stands, the one thing that always came across was there seemed to be this level of calm control, generally calm control. And she's obviously developed that within the the caps and now moving into the, the role that she's got at, uh, at UC. And I think it gives women uh, a role model to look at in terms of there's more to, to ju- than just playing. You can play, you can coach, and you can move into those more senior roles within sports. How do you think that she can help raise the profile of that part of of sports uh, and particularly within the basketball world i think the biggest thing is yeah she's got a platform now mm. she's she's one of the most well respected um, basketball personalities in the country um, and so she's had this vision for so long and this ambition and with that's come a string of success and and with success it gives you a platform so i think she's now in a position to be heard and i couldn't agree more with with the fact that her being a role model. And, you know, when it comes to things like this project, the biggest line that we keep reiterating to people is that you can't be what you can't see. And so as young female athletes are, are looking at, at television, they're underrepresented um, in a production sense. And so it's telling the story of Graffy, it's telling the story of these athletes and telling them on, on the big screen so that they're well represented and the youth can sort of see that there is a pathway for them and there is an opportunity for them to pursue their dreams. 
And it's not just on court as well. I think that's one of the things too. And that's one of the things that Graffy talked about. It's like basketballs, like any sport, is just a tool and a pathway in life. And so we hope that, you know, by watching this film and seeing this representation on screen, obviously every girl that watches this isn't going to end up being a WNBL player, but they will see that there is something that they can aspire to. And with a lot of hard work and skill and all of those things, it, it can pay off. And then showing the transition of Graffy from basketball player to basketball coach to director at UC, it shows that it's not just on the court that you can have that success. You can transition that hard work and that talent off the court into the boardroom. And touching on that, in the documentary, how much of the history of the Caps do you guys go into? Yeah, that's something we're doing a lot of work on at the moment. So behind the scenes, starting to talk to former players, coaches, people around the team. We would love to touch on a lot of it. We've obviously already recorded the hub season. Initially, the the story was, here's the team chasing the three-peat. Um, but as we've gone on, we've realized it's, there's so much more to tell here. So we really do want to sort of like the last dance did with the Chicago Bulls go back and forth in time between moments in the hub and then a, a similar moment in history. So we can kind of go back to different chapters of the Caps, whether it be winning success, you know, in the early 2000s or whether it be the team struggling at the moment, let's go back and touch on some of the rebuilding years sort of in the mid-2000s. So there are so many incredible stories. Like as we're starting to talk to more and more people now, there are so many great stories and it's just going to be figuring out how many of them we can fit in and how we fit them in. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the joys of filmmaking, right? Like, I mean, how much footage was captured at the bubble? Was it like 28 hours? Yeah, I think, I then, think it's 30 plus hours of footage from the, the season. Yeah, and now, now we're looking to do, um, you know, up to 30 interviews, uh, whether that's between ex-players or current players, staff, media, um, Canberra personalities, each of those going for 30 to 60 minutes either. Um, so you come out with this huge chunk of content and you could go in any which direction. And then it's just about finding the right narrative to tell within 90 minutes. <laughs> so that's uh, quite a challenge in itself. Yeah, That's the exciting bit though, right? Yeah, how how yeah. do you weave it all together to tell all these incredible micro stories that make up this huge overall narrative? I know certainly from from our experience with just shooting stuff for the Flames, you don't realise how much content you've actually shot until you actually start looking at it and you realise... Until realize, you build up your first hard drive. Yeah, you do uh, a yeah. transfer and you got 12 hours remaining. <laughs> oh, actually, I just I did a count the other day. I think I, I, I came up at 64 SD cards worth of content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that was actually one of our biggest logistical challenges slash planning sessions for the hub was how, what do we do with all this footage? How do we make sure it's backed up? So if a bag gets lost or stolen or our hotel room gets broken into, we don't lose five weeks of footage. And so, yeah, we were actually filling hard drives and then posting them back to Dill in Sydney um, during the hub. I think we did that three times, but we ended up with, I think it was 17 or 18 terabytes of footage from the the hub alone. So we, yeah, we've definitely um, filled up some hard drives and almost a server now as well. So you're still shooting content. Where exactly are you guys at the moment? Right. So yeah, currently 
worked through all the development and um, the story narrative and we're then fortunate enough to capture all the footage in the bubble. But we're now at the point where we want to get all these interviews done. We want to go into post-production, but as with all things, we're um, looking for fundraising. And so what, what that's led us to is, uh, fortunately, we were approved onto the Documentary Australia Foundation website. And so that's DAF. And um, I mean, DAF is an organisation who uh, enable impact documentary projects to raise tax-deductible funding. So to get through the rest of production and post-production, we're currently seeking private investors and, and community funding through that platform. So the call's out at the moment. Um, we're going pretty hard on socials. Uh, we're reaching out to a range of different companies in Canberra um, and looking to extend that nationally. But yeah, I mean, if there's anyone that's sort of hearing this story and resonating with our vision, we'd love to have you a part of the project. Great. And please make sure to send us all the all the appropriate links. We'll make sure we get them out to everybody as well. Now, look, one of the questions I did want to ask is when it comes to a lot of the players, some of them really love the camera, some of them need to be coaxed, and some of them really don't like it at all how did you find working through that with the players yeah it was interesting seeing the development of some of the players over the time with them so you know we had good relationships with a couple of the players because they'd been there for a few years already some of them we met them at one or two trainings before we went away to the hub some of them we kind of didn't meet until we were on the plane or at the airport and so you know somebody like uh, Jade Melbourne was hilarious watching her development from being really shy and sort of saying like, oh, don't film me right now to about two days later, just laughing and telling us to come film her. And she, she absolutely <laughs> loved it. About three days in. So that, that was hilarious seeing that that development. We got a ton of good behind the scenes stuff with Jado. Um, so that was fun. Others had been around the camera a lot already, like, you know, the Tolo and Kelsey's of the world have, have done quite a bit of media already. So they were, they were pretty used to it. But yeah, a lot of them were actually pretty comfortable and just they all knew the purpose of us being there. And so I guess they kind of, even if they were feeling a little bit uncertain, maybe at the start, um, we pretty quickly built a relationship with most of the players there in the first week. And so after that, it was a lot easier. Okay. Guys, obviously, I don't want you to give away too much, but did you have a particular moment from the stuff that you shot that you really kind of went, yeah, that's gold? I mean, there were a ton, to, <laughs> to be honest with you. When you're with a team in that in that depth for, for that amount of time, you're going to get a lot of good stuff. But for me, actually, the we went and filmed the first training. And um, having played for Gorry back in the day with my under-20s ACT team, I knew he was pretty good at team talks. But um, first first huddle, he, he had a really good talk with them, which was super motivational. And it was kind of like, oh, wow, right, we're here. Like, it's happening. Um, but then straight after that first training, they had a team meeting, which was a goal-setting exercise. And, yeah, I'm super excited for everybody to see that because I think a lot of people talk about the CAPS culture and what is the CAPS culture and how do you develop a culture. That meeting alone, you know, I was sitting there saying, this is what a winning franchise looks like. Yeah, so I won't, I won't share too much on that, but some of that will be in the trailer. Some of that you'll have to wait to see the film. But, um that was definitely one of the moments. Another one was the locker room after the semi-final loss to Melbourne. Again, really um, tough to be there for that and try not to shake while I'm holding the camera, fighting back tears that we've just lost the semi-final. But, but um, yeah, really, really emotional moment. And just the, the kind of moments that I hadn't really been in before as a storyteller because you just don't usually get that kind of access to a team. I mean, that's the beauty of the doco as well, right, Locke, is being the fly on the wall, you know, nothing's scripted and it's just you're there capturing it as it happens and it's just the beauty of it. 
Absolutely. So the the other one, probably the probably the most um, moving moment of the whole thing was actually off the court. So they one of their days off in Cairns, they went and did a camp with Indigenous Basketball Association, which is Paddy Mills Charity, which is around Australia and doing some incredible work. But they went to an area just outside Cairns and kids came in from a number of communities to be a part of that. And I think quite often, you know, professional sports teams have these these events on their days off and you send, you know, two or three players, some teams send bench warmers, but everybody on the team went. And I think halfway through the camp, it was just really obvious that something really special was happening. All the kids were absolutely loving it. All the players were absolutely loving it. And then at the end, the local coach gave this incredible speech about he was a kid from one of those communities and, you know, these kids didn't have a lot. One, one of the kids there didn't have shoes to play in but was still going super hard, doing every single drill, trying his hardest. And um, it was really emotional. Like a, a lot of the players were tearing up, the coach was tearing up. And then at, to finish the camp, uh, Kelsey Griffin went up and gave that kid her shoes. And, you know, this is a, an MVP. Somebody, if you only see her on the court, you probably hate her if she's playing against you. <laughs> and so to, to see a moment like that from, um, from Kelsey just showed what a professional she is and what her and I think the Caps really stand for. It's, you touched on an interesting point there. You know, it is important to see the, the players do stuff like that, not only within Indigenous communities, but any opportunity where there are kids who just don't get the opportunities. And and I've seen it, I've certainly seen it here in, in Sydney with the Flames where they've done it. Um, I think it's a really important part of being able to grow the sport, to be able to get to those kids who just don't get an opportunity to come to the games. So get out into the regional areas and let them see what it's all about. And it's the sort of thing I think needs to happen more often. But it's really hard because unfortunately, there are financial limitations that a lot of the clubs run into, which makes it very hard for them to be able to take up initiatives like that. Yeah, I think that was actually one of one of the great things about the hub season. Like Mariana Tolo is from Mackay. She'd never played a WNBL game in Mackay before. So, you know, her community finally got to see Mariana Tolo play for her team in her home stadium. Um, she was able to do a camp with local kids. Um, and I, I think a lot, a lot of the Caps players actually are from rural areas. That was a funny little stat I figured out while we are in the hub. But, you know, you got Abby's from Darwin, Kelsey's from Alaska, um, Tolo's from Mackay. A number of them, Michaela Roof, I think, might be from the, the country in, in the States as well. And so I think it was almost half the team were rural kids. And I think part of that is why they've got no egos and buy-in because, you know, they're from these small towns and they're just really happy to be a part of something incredible. Yeah, it's those opportunities that, that it does provide, which is which is amazing. And, yes, Michaela Roof does come from the, the country in the U.S. She's a real personality. She's yes. <laughs> Very funny person. Roof is hilarious. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> did she manage to provide you with uh, plenty of stuff for the blooper reel? She did, yeah. Uh, well, a lot of the players did. Yeah, when you're around six weeks, I think we got bloopers of most of them. <laughs> but yeah, no, she, was, she was great. So, guys, you've got tons of footage. You're going to be trying to, to catch up with a lot of previous players. When do you think you're going to be finishing your, your shooting so you can start assembling, given 
maybe three or four months left before the next season starts. Yeah, so we're kind of having to balance multiple things at the same time. So we've obviously shot the the hub already, so we're working on editing that as we speak. Um, we're doing all of sort of our research on what other potential old storylines we could tie into that by speaking to people from past teams. And then it's just about the, the fundraising is the big one for us. Like we would love to go out and hit record tomorrow or next week on all these interviews, but it's just about funding it. So it really just comes down to we're pushing really hard on the fundraising right now while in the background editing what we've got um, and doing our research so we're prepared. So as soon as that funding does come in, we can just get out there and get all those interviews recorded. Um, I think the more research we do on what storylines are out there, the more we can figure out exactly what we'll need to film to tie that into the 2020 hub season narrative because everything's going to be driven by that. Hmm. But, but yeah, really, it's just all about the fundraising at the moment. Okay. I'm going to ask the indelicate question. How much are you guys looking for? Funnily enough, you know, speaking about these numbers, I guess, for people outside the filmmaking world, you know, you do kind of gawk at it, but doing the research, it's, it's pretty low budget. But um, the number that we're looking at at the moment is 130 grand. And so that's primarily, I mean, Lachlan and I both own um, film production companies. So we have the ability to invest our own time and equipment, which is fantastic. So we, you know, we're not, we're not trying to make a huge profit off of this. We really just want to um, tell an incredible story and, and have a feature film under our belt. Um, so primarily all of that is around crew for the interviews. Um, and mm-hmm. then, you know, we've talked about just how much footage we have. So it's primarily going into post-production. Um, and one of the big things with this documentary as well is we didn't want to take any shortcuts um, when it comes to production quality, especially given the subject matter. You know, we've, we've seen sporting documentary on sporting documentary about these male athletes and, and the quality is incredible. And, you know, you think how many of those productions have you seen about women's sport on Netflix or or Amazon or Stan. Yes, we want to tell a great story, but we really want to increase the production value of it. Um, so we don't want to skimp out on anything like that. So, you know, we want a full crew there for these interviews. We want to invest in an edit, in the color grade and sound design. We really want this to be a high level film. Yeah. And look, to be honest, I know from my own experience, 130 grand for what you guys are trying to do, really, it sounds like a big number, but it's really not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm sure there's got to be companies out there that are currently involved with the WNBL, not just in Canberra, but Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth. Guys, open your pockets. You know, it's a really great project that they're working on. And look, guys, finally, I'd like to say thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time. I would love to check in with you guys in a couple of months to see how things are going along. Absolutely. Um, and you know, if there's anything that we can do to help you, let us know. Yeah, thank Absolutely. you so much. It was awesome to get a chance to chatter. As I said, we're so excited to just be in a position now where we can start talking about it. <laughs> We've been sitting on all this great stuff for sort of six months, just waiting to get everything lined up. And we're just so excited to be able to start to share this story with everybody. And yeah, hugely appreciate you taking the time to have a chat about it. Thanks, guys. And good luck with it all. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate your time. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.